It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Capitol Police say that nine Late Show staffers arrested for trespassing in a Capitol Hill office building last month lied that they were credentialed to be on the grounds when confronted by officers. So says USCP Chief Tom Manger in a letter to our next defendant Plunkett. So one of the guys that they came upon, the leader of the group, initially told the officer they were credentialed staff and that they were contractors for the CBS television network. He goes on to say it's unfortunate that despite all of the evidence the department presented, the U.S. Attorney's Office is declining to prosecute any members of the group for unlawful entry. So that was Shannon Bream last night, and that really is shocking. You remember that uh, Stephen Colbert's team of The Late Night Show went into the Capitol late at night filming with their stupid puppet. I'm sorry. I don't think it's amusing. I know a lot of people have made uh, – it could be funny, I suppose, but it is so um, – sometimes humor is just wicked. And I think in this case it's wicked because they went into the Capitol un unannounced, uh, faked their way in, and we're walking around by themselves. You can't do that in the nation's capital. You know what? If you don't believe that, ask anyone who's in jail for actually doing that on January the 6th, being treated very differently, held in solitary confinement. But Stephen Colbert's people, oh, no, they're off and free. In fact, someone to talk about this is Ned Ryan. Ned is the... Um, Oh, he's the founder and CEO of American Majority. He was on last night with uh, Jesse Waters, and he had some choice thoughts about this. Let's listen. It's unbelievable hypocrisy by Graves. Uh, you're right. He is prosecuting the January 6th protesters. And, and to highlight the hypocrisy, more than 200 people uh, have been charged, have pled guilty to parading on January 6th, which is a petty offense class B misdemeanor. Uh, even though they walked through open doors in front of police, were not asked to leave, yet Graves has actually recommended charges and sentencing of 60 to 90 days in jail. But not with Colbert. It was unlawful entry misdemeanor. It's all been dropped. It could have been up to 180 days in jail. But Graves didn't think that it was worth pursuing. Because again, Jesse, I think this highlights what I think a lot of people have started to realize, but I want to make this point. We have a bifurcated legal system here in this country in which if you have the wrong political views or the wrong political net connections, you have the book thrown at you, but if you have the right connections, uh, everything gets dropped and it's just a shrug as you walk away. And this is a this is a serious problem in this country because one of the fundamental fundamental foundational aspects of our republic is the equal application of the law. We're all stand equal before the law. The law is equally applied. But when the law becomes a political tool to punish political enemies, all bets are off. Yes. And uh, thank you, Ned, for explaining that. I, I, here's the thing. Lest we have forgotten, our founding fathers came from countries where there was no blind justice. If you were a landowner or if you were a member of the royalty, you know, you got away with murder, rape, stealing. Uh, it didn't matter. You had a special status. The courts 
You did not get justice if you were just a regular man walking on the streets, and that's why they created this whole concept of Lady Justice being blind, blind justice. If you want to get inspired, watch. There's an old uh, movie of Abraham Lincoln, I think made in the 30s. It's not actually Abraham Lincoln, just to explain for those of you that think that maybe he lived during the 30s. It's a movie about Abraham Lincoln made in the 30s. Keep in mind, if you make a movie in the 30s, Abraham Lincoln was president in 1864. So that's not that long after Abraham Lincoln actually walked the earth. But Henry Fonda played Abraham Lincoln in his, his early years. It's his early years as an attorney in Springfield, Illinois. And it is the most moving as he is fleshing out, you know, the American justice system as a young attorney. But I, So I just say that to say, my, how far we've come. And now we've come to a place where if you are a... Uh, the wrong, if you have the wrong ideas, you better not, you know, trip up in any way. And even if you don't trip up, they want to come after you to uh, charge you with something if they don't like you so that they can uh, take away your rights, remove you from social media so that your business cannot promote itself, so that you go hungry and um, so that you lose your business. And then also, you know, you lose your livelihood, all kinds of things, and maybe even your life. Uh, if you have the wrong uh, ideas. And right now, the wrong ideas are that there was a election stolen in 2020, that President Donald Trump actually won, that Joe Biden is an imposter sitting in the White House. He was not elected by the American people. If you believe that, expect a knock at your door or the FBI to come and arrest you because you can't think that. And if you want to get out of jail in D.C., you have to recant just like the uh, the tribunals of the Reformation where if you, uh, you know, if you didn't say the right things about a doctrine, Catholic or, or, or Protestant uh, in the moment, whoever was in charge, then off with your head or to, you know, someplace to burn you on the pale. That's where we are. That's where we are. That's why our justice system is so important. That's why the corruption of it is so degrading and disgusting and despicable. And that's exactly what the left, populated by Democrats, is doing. But I'm, I'm going to say one more time, we have an election coming up. We have an election coming up. Honestly, I think I've said this almost every election for the last 20 years probably, but it's not meaningless because it's true every time. This may be the last time we have an opportunity. I'm actually skeptical, skeptical to tell you the truth. I'm skeptical that this November election will be... I do not think that the Democrats and the left, having gained so much power, are going to stand by and let Republicans take both houses. I just don't think that's the truth, and we'll see. We'll see. So what do we do? Do we sit home and say, give up and say, oh, well, they're going to, you know, steal it anyway? Or do we fight to the death? I think of that scripture. I know this is not um, a battle over... uh, the principles of God or defending God or Jesus, any of that. And yet truth is just intrinsically woven in the God that we serve. He is the God of all truth. So when we defend truth, we are standing for him. And I think of that uh, scripture in Ephesians that we put on the breastplate of uh, righteousness and the shield of uh, salvation and the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And having done all, having fought and fought and fought and fought, we stand. We stand. And so are you going to sit down? You're going to go, you know, order Chinese and watch, you know, some your your favorite series on Netflix or uh, and Amazon and wait for the end? Or are you going to fight and having done all stand? I, I, want, I, I want you to fight 
And how do you fight now? You fight by getting engaged in these elections. Go to ivoterguide.com. Is that right? ivoterguide.org. And look at, you know, wherever you are, whatever state you're in for your upcoming elections. And I'm going to be covering them as much as I can. And I want to give you another example why, you know, you need to uh, make sure that you're voting for the right people. And they aren't as, not all Republicans are good people. They just aren't. I'm finding just like tiny swaths of them are. They are the champions, and you need to find them and support them. Uh, and, you know, if you just heard at the top of the hour last night, the House voted to, um, you know, codify in law. The Supreme Court had already handed down the Obergefell decision, making same-sex marriage legal everywhere for any reason and uh, any occasion. I wait for that. I'm waiting for them to codify, you know, three-person marriages or marriages to animals. That's probably coming next. But right now, we're still dealing with same sex, and so because the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade about a month ago, uh, the activists are, you know, sort of like um, hyperventilating and worried that the court might over might decide actually Obergefell was wrongly decided, which it was. On the same principle as Roe versus Wade, it should have been decided by the states. If states wanted to have same-sex marriage, according to Constitution, I'm not talking about moral, uh, they should be able to decide that, and New York can have it if they want it. California can have it. But Iowa, Florida, Georgia, they might not want that. Uh, and they shouldn't be forced, but they were forced by the Supreme Court. And so based on that same principle as overturning Roe versus Wade, perhaps they might consider overturning a Burgerfell. So to stop that from happening, heaven knows we wouldn't want to stop uh, or cease marrying same-sex people because it's been such a, a an enrichment to the culture, right? It's really helped our country to move to a new level, new standard, right? I don't think so. I think it has um, debased us. Even more, certainly, as we hold ourselves before a holy God, we are debased by all of this. And so um, last night, the House voted to codify same-sex marriage in law to stop that old, awful Supreme Court uh, that they're, you know, protesting every single day uh, from even considering overturning a Burgerfell. So uh, the House voted 265 to 157 uh, to you know, codified um, uh, same-sex marriage. Now, here's the here's the deal that makes my point. Forty-seven House Republicans voted with the Democrats. I don't have the list of those yet, but when I get it, I'll post it. And by the way, you know, I we use Getter primarily. We're on most of all those social media pat- platforms, but Getter is the one that is the go-to for us right now. I hope you sign up and uh, and you can go there and get this information. But 47 House Republicans, we should find out who they are and make sure they're never reelected again. Simple as that. And that's why, uh, as you're looking for candidates to support in the primaries that are left, and there are lots of them, uh, you don't want to support any, any of those 47, and that's a good question to ask your uh, potential candidate, how they, what they would have done on that and how they would have voted. Okay, so, uh, but, you know, they're busy in the House. They're, they're very busy. They're busy on both sides of the aisles. Aisle. Um, yesterday, well, in fact, let's just run clip five as I explain what's happening here. This is the sound of, um, yeah, there's a little party going on in front of, you hear it? Yeah, let's listen. A little party going on in front of the Supreme Court. Music. 
So because you see what they're doing is uh, making sure the Supreme Court knows that they're very unhappy that Roe versus Wade was overturned. So several Democratic congressmen went over yesterday, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, and um, uh, Omar, Ilhan Omar. So the irony of it is, as they were walking back, Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, they put their they, the police were escorting them away. I don't know what the circumstances were. They put their hands behind their back as though they were being arrested. You can see the video of it. They they wanted to look like they're being arrested. Uh, so remember how um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at the border a couple uh, year or so ago went down and feigned uh, the conditions among the immigrants? It's been maybe two years, maybe. She made the whole thing up. She's very theatric. It's just, uh, but hey, you know, that's the way our world is right now. I think, you know, this is this is fun stuff. Nothing's real. You know, propaganda, I'm going to get into some of that more dangerous propaganda in a few minutes. Well, that's dangerous too, uh, because poor Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and poor Ilhan Amar were escorted away by the police, uh, feigning being handcuffed. Uh, and they're champions to the left for doing that, just champions. So... I think uh, it's possible that we might need new people in the House. What do you think? And how do they get there? They get there because you vote for them. So when, um, I don't want to disparage him again, but when a guest, as a couple of weeks ago, said to me that a very bad congressperson serving, uh, who has made terrible decisions and now up for re-election, just got nominated again, when the person uh, I'm interviewing about that tells me, there's oh, he's just it's just a learning curve. He's just in a learning curve. I'm telling you, I, I, I'm a learning curve. You are, we are in the danger, in danger of losing our country and much more. I'm telling you, the, I mentioned this yesterday when I went off the air, and I'll just say it again. What the left has in store for us is so very dangerous that I expect that we're going to have food shortages, and I'm not an alarmist. I'm just not. Uh, when Y2K came, I yawned all my way, all the way through it. I don't listen to this kind of stuff, but I'm telling you, as someone who pays attention, and I think has some reasonable amount of judgment because God has given me judgment that this is real. It's coming, and when people get hungry, and when they have no way to defend themselves, there will be violence, and we're trying to stop that. We want peace. God wants us to have peace, for heaven's sake. He doesn't want us to live in in this kind of an atmosphere, not his own people and not the people around us. And so we have some work to do in every way, a deep evangelization of people about the, the, the need to turn to God and also just civil order. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. 80% of the time, an abortion-minded mother who views an ultrasound or sonogram of her baby will choose life. Here's the story of Candace. The sonogram sealed the deal for me. My baby was like this tiny little spectrum of hope. And I saw his heart beating on the screen. And knowing that there's life growing inside, I mean, that sonogram changed my life. I went from just... Candace to mom. Thank you to everybody that has given these gifts. You guys are giving more than money. You guys are giving love. There are currently preborn centers which do not have an ultrasound machine. Would you sponsor a machine today? Dial pound 250 and say keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Your love 
could save a life. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills And it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. When deciding where to pursue your career goals, you want a university that you can trust that offers a world-class education with the values, knowledge, and skills you need to succeed. That place is Liberty University, and now is the perfect time to start. Liberty is celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ, a mission that has not wavered since it opened in 1971. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. Elisha Dickin is an honest-to-goodness hero. He's the 22-year-old Good Samaritan who shot and killed a gunman who opened fire inside a food court of a mall in Greenwood, Indiana. But Justin Kohler is no fan. He's the traffic reporter at the CBS affiliate in Indianapolis. Mr. Kohler stirred up a stink on social media, blasting people for calling Mr. Dickin a Good Samaritan. He said he could not believe that we live in a world where Good Samaritan can equally apply to someone killing somebody. But had Mr. Dickens stood down, there would have no doubt been a massacre at the mall. He qualified his inflammatory statement by saying he was not a theologian. Well, maybe the traffic reporter ought to just stay in his lane. The Bible is filled with stories about armies of angels rushing to protect God's people. In Greenwood, Indiana, God's angel was armed with a handgun. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. So I think that uh, the challenge for all of us now is that no one country can solve this problem by itself. We all have to be able to reduce the emissions. We have to accelerate the transition. We're behind. We're not yet fulfilling the promises that we made in Glasgow. So we have our work cut out for us, and I look forward to talking about that with you. That was Mr. John Kerry, Mr. Green Energy, Mr. Global Warming, Mr. Climate Change, Mr. Everyone has to join in to help us stop this. This is a, an emergency. Everyone has to join in, except except me. I, I wish we had that clip where he was asked about how he did, how it is that he's jet setting around the globe, uh, using you know thousands of gallons of uh, jet fuel. How could you? But he said, "Well, for someone in my in my position, I have to do this." So it's good for you, but not for him. So he's got plans, but he's not the only person. That has plans. Um, we are now expecting, this is really frightening, and it's going to affect us. So 
I'll, I'll just tell you this this way. You know that gasoline prices, I know they're coming down some now because, well, let's see, because uh, President Biden has gone into our strategic reserve. So for right now, you know, it's uh, pretty good. It's come down maybe 50 cents. I don't know. Uh, but when we run out of our reserves, well, Houston, we might have a problem. But right now, as long as, you know, it's like um, eating, you know, you're stranded on a desert island and you have one bag lunch left and you go ahead and eat it because uh, you're hungry. But you forgot that you're going to have to eat tomorrow and the next day and the next day. So that's what he's done to us with our oil reserves. But it gets worse, I think, because we're hearing now that it looks as though President Biden is considering making climate change and stopping climate change an emergency, calling it a climate emergency. Now, to give you an idea of what that means, that means that like in declaring a COVID emergency, uh, the federal government takes on powers that it does not normally have. Um, Things like he could use the Defense Production Act to impose uh, the climate uh, agenda on private industry. And he can spend all kinds of money uh, the Congress wouldn't let him have if they, there hadn't been an emergency declared. Uh, one person pointed out that if it's an emergency, why is he not doing that right now? If there's an emergency, why is he not declaring it? Why Why are they waiting to see, just waiting and seeing on this emergency? Because there is no emergency. Uh, they, in fact, the Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, said uh, that if he does declare this emergency, it would unlock a certain, this is her words, pot of funding. It would unlock a pot of funding, and wouldn't that be great? Uh, but this is what we are expecting if he declares this emergency, just to give you an idea of why this is so serious to you and to me. Uh, the blueprint, for, uh, as opposed by the Center for Biological Diversity, uh, has highlighted these executive actions under this emergency. Halt all crude oil exports. Stop oil and gas drilling. All of it. Restrict international trade and private investment in fossil fuels. Order the defense industry to ramp up clean energy tech. Those are some of the things. Now, what, what would that do to you? What would that do to us? Well, that would mean I'm, I'm actually, I don't know. Uh, I'm speculating now. I'm thinking uh, those cars that you're having trouble filling up with that expensive gasoline, uh, you might not even be able to get gasoline at all. Uh, because they're they are hell bent on you driving electric cars, and from from my perspective, based on what I'm seeing from these people, is that they don't want you even driving cars at all. This is like an interim kind of a little fun game, like a little uh, bumper car thing for them. But in the long run, they want you taking public transportation and living in city centers so they can control you. That's on the books. I know they're planning that. That's not speculation on my part. So the little electric car bait and switch is just an interim thing to get you to stop driving gasoline-powered cars. Uh, Pete Buttigieg um, had something to say about this. The, the um, what, Secretary of, of uh, Transportation, just a little short clip just to give you insight into what they're thinking. Clip 7. Of course, the more pain we are all experiencing from the high price, price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. Yeah, so see, you know, the more pain, this pain is good. This pain is good. That reminds me of uh, the the uh, World Economic Forum's list of things that that they're going to do to us. They are, you know, in motion. You you will you will have nothing, and you will love it. You'll have nothing, but you'll you'll like it. You'll have you'll like having nothing. So you're going to like not having a car. You just and you're going to really like having an electric car. Well, or maybe not. Congressman Massey, who I just love from Kentucky, uh, brilliant guy, quirky, you know. 
decided to challenge uh, Pete Buttigieg, and this was the challenge, clip eight. The average uh, household uses 17% of their electricity for air conditioning. And um, that would mean the average household uses 1,870 kilowatt hours per year for air conditioning. If that average household plugged in electric cars, do you know how much more electricity they would use in comparison to the air conditioning that air conditions their whole house? No, but again, I would emphasize it will well, let be me help less you. Let me help you overall. with that first before we go on, because the numbers are important. It would take four times as much electricity to charge the average household's cars as the average household uses on air conditioning. Do you think that could be? So if we reach the goal by 2030 that Biden has of a 50 percent adoption instead of 100 percent adoption, that means the average household would use twice as much electricity charging one of their cars as they would use for all of the air conditioning that they use for the entire year. Okay, so let's think about that. Bruce and I were just talking yesterday about our electric bill, which is quite high. In fact, it jumped up. It was very, very expensive this month, and we were trying to figure out what we'd done differently. Uh, we spend a lot of money cooling our home in the summertime. Uh, so, and, um, so if we had to do away, we couldn't drive our cars because they, they're going to, going to take away gasoline. That's really what they want to do. That might sound radical, but that is exactly. You have to understand that is where they're going with this. Uh, so if we then have to buy an electric car at tremendous expense because they're very expensive, and we had to plug it in, it would char- it would cost us, what, four times the amount just to, that we pay for our current electric bill right now in the summer as it would to charge one electric vehicle. One car in our garage that runs on electricity would cost us four times as much as heating, uh, cooling our, ho- our house during the summer. Now you think about that. Uh, you know, most people cannot afford that. Most people, there's no way. We can't afford that either. And that's just one item on your list. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about these battery-powered cars, electric car batteries. There's a little story uh, of what happened to one family driving an electric car out of Tampa Bay, Florida. Clip 9. I was really excited. 17-year-old Avery Sawinski was thrilled to get an electric 2014 Ford Focus. And it was fine at first. I loved it so much. It was like small and quiet and the car had 60,000 miles on it all of a sudden it just stopped working Avery says she had it for six months before the battery died I know that the Ford stopped making the car but it just is frustrating that they stopped making the battery too so it left like hundreds of people with the without a car to use Last month, Avery's dad died following a stage four colon cancer diagnosis. Her grandfather, Ray Sawinski, stepped up trying to get an electric car battery replacement. It turns out that this is a pretty common problem with this particular car. The family bought the used car for $11,000 on Carvana. The Ford dealership advised us that we could replace the battery. It would only cost $14,000. And that doesn't include installation costs. So if you're wondering where that car is now, it's been here at AutoNation for months. Ray Sawinski tells me they've offered to buy the car from him, only offering $500. Sawinski says he's learned it's not just Ford Focus owners dealing with costly electric car battery replacements. If you're buying a new one, you have to realize there is no secondhand market out there because the manufacturers aren't supporting the cars. 
The Sawinski's message to you, do your research before buying electric. They warn it may cost you far more than you realize. Malik Rankin, 10 Tampa Bay. All right. So, uh, so, but you know what? These guys like uh, Buttigieg, Secretary of Transportation, they only have your best interest at heart, really, right? They want clean. They tell us clean. It's going to be clean energy. It's going to be good for the planet. It's going to be, it's good for you. We want you to be healthy and well, I don't know, live on roots and uh, use clean energy. Uh, but Right, it's per- perfectly pure-hearted motivations, right? Well, then there's Jennifer Granholm, who also sits on that cabinet, Biden's cabinet, with Pete Buttigieg. She is the, oh, uh, what is she? She's, she's the Secretary of Energy. But interestingly enough, a young reporter named Matthew, Matthew Foldy uh, has been some, doing some investigation on the Energy Department, and this is what he found. The Secretary of Energy owned hundreds of thousands of shares valued at millions of dollars in a private company that she and the Biden administration were actively boosting. This company uh, is in charge. It makes electric vehicle batteries. Now, Jennifer Granholm, while owning millions of dollars of this stock, was put in charge of the nation's electric vehicle battery supply chain. And this company, Proterra, saw its stock value rise and rise and rise. Now, obviously, this is corruption. She was selling all of her other stocks. She was waiting for Proterra to debut on the NASDAQ so it would split and make her millions of dollars, and then she would sell it. But I was going through her personal financial disclosures, and I saw, oh, she owns this company. Let's see if there's something going on here. And I confronted Granholm in person about this. I I went to an event she was doing in Maryland, and I said, hi, I'm a reporter, and I would like to know who you sold this stock to, because after my reporting... She was forced to sell off her stock. She disclosed a net profit of selling this, these private shares for $1.6 million. So I said, hi, my name is Matthew Foldy. I'd like to know who you sold 252,000 shares of non-public Proterra stock to for a disclosed profit of $1.6 million. Her staff swarmed me. They said, have you, have you reached out to us about this? And I said, yes, multiple times. And you've never responded. They said, oh, we'll get back to you. That was last summer. We have no idea who Granholm sold this stock to. All right, so uh, that's Matthew Foldy. He was with the Washington Beacon, by the way. He just ran for Congress in uh, Maryland and lost last night. I, so I'm sorry he lost because he sounded like he did a. That was just an incredible interview I watched that he did. But the story is that the Secretary of Energy is enriching herself with batteries, batteries that go in electric cars. This is the Biden way, you know. I mean, you make a tons of money on, you know, the policies that you make. That's what the Biden family's done for years. And, in fact, that's what many Republicans do, many of them sitting in those little seats. They've, they came in as, you know, lowly attorneys with maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars in their bank account, and they're leaving with millions because they make these deals. So, you know, um, yeah, this is where we are. So this is the way that this administration plans to transform and destroy this country uh, by by declaring a climate emergency, by taking away your cars, stopping any kind of fossil fuels. That means heating and cooling your home will become a huge problem. Uh, it's it's just an it's just um. It's just amazing to watch this unfold. And then the other way they're trying to do this, you guys may have to run over the, the um, break just a little bit here because I want to finish this thought. The um, other way of doing that, of course, is allowing the open borders to just go crazy, which they are. I don't even need to spend time with you telling you that, do I? I doubt I do. Uh, so you know that a couple of days ago, Muriel Bowser was complaining that there were so many immigrants coming to D.C., 
Uh, they were, you know, they're desperate uh, for help, you know, money from us, you know, you and me, write out a check, send it to Muriel Bowser, send it to uh, uh, the mayor, uh, Eric Adams of New York City, because he's complaining too, because the South, uh, Governor Abbott in Texas and Governor Ducey in Arizona have been sending these, ma- at least some, of the illegal legal immigrants amassing on their borders, crossing over into their towns and cities, overwhelming public services and shelters and food banks uh, and medical facilities, et cetera, you fill in the blank, and creating tremendous danger and chaos. So they've decided to send them to D.C. and send them to New York and send them to these other places in the Northeast who are, you know, just uh, in these ivory towers, intellectually saying what a great idea this is. And so now they're complaining about that. And more than that, last night Stephen Miller was on with uh, Tucker Carlson. Stephen was with the, I know Stephen, he's just a great thinker. And he was explaining to Tucker uh, the, why it's so important that we do not allow this amassing of, uh, of people from without control of other cultures on our landmass. Let's listen. Well, I think first a bit of history is in order here. What many Americans may not realize is that during the period of time when the great American middle class was born, during the Eisenhower era, when we had rapid middle class growth, rapid increase in our quality of living, rapid increase in our wages, and when immigrant and U.S.-born Americans alike saw a huge increase in their living standards, there was net negative immigration into this country. In other words, the number of immigrants leaving was greater than the number of immigrants coming every single year to the point where we had 14 million immigrants in 1920. By 1965, we had fewer than 10 million immigrants. During that same time period, our population doubled from American families having kids. Now, since 1965, the Ted Kennedy rewrite and Joe Biden's open borders... The vast majority of our population growth is solely people coming here from foreign countries. And as you mentioned, you cannot have social cohesion that way. Los Angeles is more than one-third foreign-born. New York City is more than one-third foreign-born. San Francisco is more than one-third foreign-born. One in four kids, this is amazing, in the whole country, one in four kids in the whole country has a foreign-born parent. It is not in their interest or ours to keep adding more and more and more and more immigrants so there can't be any cohesion. There cannot be social trust. There cannot be civic bonding. There cannot be a shared culture, a shared language, a shared education, a shared experience, and a shared pathway to success. We are eroding and destroying all of these things by unending migration. Trust is all you have. If there's an attack and we lose our power, we lose our water, we lose our infrastructure, we lose our electricity. What keeps us from riots and looting and from madness? It's trust. It's the ability to know that the people that you are living in the community with will take care of each other and protect each other. And uncontrolled migration makes us a nation of strangers. So again, I don't care where you're born. No matter where you're from, if you're living here today, it's in your interest to turn off the spigot tomorrow. All right, Stephen Miller, former assistant advisor to President Trump. Of course, Stephen's been around long. He was with uh, Senator Jeff Sessions uh, for a long time, and Senator Sessions was so great on the immigration issue, a champion, really, in the Senate. It was a great loss when he uh, left. And so uh, that's where we are. Uh, It's destruction. They've thought of everything. Uh, But you know what? Men make their plans, and God laughs. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Bishop E.W. Jackson. What needs to be told to these black men is 
get a job, stop fathering children that you can't take care of, stop hanging out in the streets, and stop acting like the cops are your enemy anytime you interact with them, particularly when you're interacting with them in a situation where you know they've come expecting potential trouble because of the circumstances you've allowed yourself to be in. How about trying that? Weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. When you hear this... This is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren called for pregnancy resource centers to be shut down across the country. She said they fool and torture women and pregnant people. She said nothing, however, about the little babies who are literally tortured to death at these murder mills. And no matter how many times she or others try to say otherwise, only women get pregnant. Senator Warren lamented that pregnancy resource centers outnumber murder mills in Massachusetts three to one. Say what you will, one political party wants to kill babies. The other doesn't. Other political conversations seek to distract from this central point. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills and to one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here, write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. President Biden is reportedly so frustrated that Senator Joe Manchin has stymied his so-called climate change agenda that he is prepared to declare a state of emergency to implement it without congressional action. Exactly what that would mean is unclear. Presumably, sweeping measures will be mandated because President Biden insists, quote, the science is settled, unquote, and greenhouse gas emissions must be curbed. Expect mandates for further reductions in the use of fossil fuels. The Securities and Exchange Commission is already proposing to penalize publicly traded companies for failing to get with the Green New Deal program. But wait, two of America's most eminent scientists rebutted the SEC, declaring, quote, there is no climate-related risk caused by fossil fuels and carbon dioxide, unquote, and that the adoption of the Commission's proposed rule would cause, quote, disastrous consequences for people worldwide, unquote. Say no to Joe. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 
Okay, Sandy Rios back with you. I, there's an update that I've been wanting to give you. It's, it's massive. I mean, there's just so much to say about this, but I've kind of tried to condense it down, and that is kind of an update on COVID, at least some of the, the uh, highlights of it. We talked a lot already in the show about national emergencies and how dangerous. Look, they're important. There's a provision for it in the law, but when you have uh, someone at the top who is corrupt and wants to use these, use these emergencies to, um, to expand their power, uh, it's, it's very dangerous. And in fact, that COVID national emergency was extended by Joe Biden by a year. Uh, in fact, I think he's still sending out checks. I just heard this. I can't confirm. I just heard it through the grapevine that people, I heard it from a person who is a worker uh, in a restaurant that the people are beginning to get checks again, COVID, stim- COVID, COVID checks. Uh, and they're stopping, this is a waitress. And she said, now they're no, they don't want to come to work to work again. And that's part of what President Biden is doing under this emergency declaration. They're just spending money like drunken sailors, and they are going to bankrupt the country. But Paul Gosar in the House has filed a discharge petition. That means uh, it's, a, it's a provision in the House that when the Speaker of the House, who has control of what legislation comes across, refuses uh, to bring up a piece of legislation, if you get enough uh, signatures of members of the House, you can override it and force force it to come before the House. Paul Gosar's working on that to stop the national COVID emergency. All right, so, um, and meanwhile, uh, this is just really, I, I wish I knew more about this, and we maybe sh- we should do a whole interview on this, on, but right now, what I do know is I think it must be under the Defense Authorization Bill. Uh, President Biden is uh, planning on uh, taking out, requiring all troops, again, to have the vaccine or they will be purged. And that's 260,000 members of our forces who have not taken the vaccine yet still. 13% of our entire military. And they're getting ready to purge them because the emergencies, they're still operating under the old notion that COVID is deadly, but it isn't. It's not deadly anymore. It's a different strain. Uh, the rate, death rate I just read earlier, it's like 0.06 something, something, something percent. It's People are not dying from COVID. Uh, and, of course, without going into detail, you know that I gave you stat- stats repeatedly when the things were the worst, that they were overstating how many people were dying. And I'm going to get to that fraud in just a second. I want to commend to you, though, uh, um, something that's coming out this morning from um, Americans for a Limited Governor- Government, and that is a way to contact uh, Congress to stop this Stop this purge from happening in the military. It's a save our troops from Biden. Save our troops from Biden. Uh, we will put this on our getter page so that you can go to it and uh, and sign on to this and send a message to the House. Um, so I don't have a, I just can't give you a link over the air because I don't have it. So we'll put it on our getter page and you can link to that and do something about it. One of the frauds that has been exposed is that, um, I, we, I have mentioned this, but now we know more about it. Uh, there was a, that is, that the major news media sources, including conservative media like Fox, like Newsmax, all got tons of money to promote the COVID vaccine. Let me read this to you. This is um, Chris Pandolfo is the uh, reporter. I think he's with The Blaze. 
He discovered that nearly the entire corporate media took money from the Biden administration to push the vaccines to their audiences without disclosing it. More importantly, so-called conservative media organizations took money from the Biden administration to spend positive stories about deadly and ineffective vaccines to their conservative viewers who were right to be suspicious. And they did not disclose it. Fox News took the money and said nothing. Newsmax took the money and said nothing. In response to a FOIA request filed by The Blaze, Health and Human Services revealed that it purchased advertising from major news networks, including ABC, CBS, NBC, cable news stations, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, New York Post, Los Angeles Times, Washington Post, uh, BuzzFeed News, Newsmax, and hundreds of local newspapers and TV stations. These outlets were collectively responsible for publishing countless articles and video segments regarding the vaccine that was nearly uniformly positive about the vaccine in terms of both its efficacy and safety. That is the largest and most comprehensive breach of journalistic ethics that has ever occurred. Almost everybody took the money, and almost everybody lied about the vaccines knowingly or unknowingly. Almost everybody refused to report anything negative about the vaccines because they were paid to close their eyes. Almost everybody is implicated. And this ends by saying, I'll read this, I'm reading it from a Blaze story, In other words, the Biden administration's money did not just pay for pro-vaccine advertising at outlets like Fox and Newsmax. It paid for an outright ban on negative coverage. There's a word for that kind of thing, and that word is propaganda. Horrific, horrific what they did to us. And so many people that you know who watch Fox or watch Newsmax trusted them, took the vaccines. And now, as I understand it, the vaccines are only 5% effective. Only 5% of people who have taken the vaccines have managed not to get COVID. Right now, we're seeing, are you not seeing people in your life who are vaccinated who are getting COVID now? I, I, th- I think we should call it the pandemic of the vaccinated. That's exactly what it is. Now, it's a, you know, the strain by now is... Uh, has less effect. It's less virile. It's more like a cold. Uh, but this is just, um, it's just, we have been had. We've been used and we've been had. And I'll make the case even more plainly here. Uh, on, um, let's see, on uh, the Steve D's show, I w- I'm going to start with this and then I'll explain this a little bit better. I think this is Steve's, uh, his news guy, uh, gives a report of what we know now about uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, who was the White House coronavirus response coordinator for President Trump. She's written a book called Silent Invasion, and people are just now discovering what it is she actually wrote in that book, which is really horrific. In any other day and time, she would be prosecuted. Let's listen to this. Dr. Deborah Burks, the former organizer of the White House coronavirus task force during the Trump administration, has a new book out where she explicitly brags about overstating, distorting, and misleading the White House and the public about the facts surrounding coronavirus. In her book titled Silent Invasion, Burks writes about her weekly COVID reports to state governors from the White House. These weekly reports were intended to inform coronavirus policy at the state level. She writes, quote, week by week, Pence Chief of Staff Mark Short's office began providing line by line edits. After the heavily edited documents were returned to me, I'd reinsert what they had objected to, but place it in a different location. I'd also reorder and restructure the bullet points so the most salient, the points the administration objected to most, no longer fell at the start of the bullet points. I shared these strategies with the three members of the data team also writing these reports. Our Saturday and Sunday report writing routines soon became write, submit, revise, hide, 
resubmit. Fortunately, this strategic sleight of hand worked, end quote. Burks also reveals how she knew in July of 2020 that the vaccines did not prevent reinfection. She also explicitly stated she was working to, quote-unquote, subvert the guidance of Stanford's Dr. Scott Atlas and did so with the approval of then-Vice President Mike Pence. All right, so that's a report from the Steve D. Show. Uh, but I want to go into more detail. There's an article in Red State that is quite lengthy. Let me commend it to you. Um, it's called Former Trump COVID Honcho Burks Admits to Deceiving the White House and Just Making Stuff Up to Push Her Personal Agenda. It's really stunning. It really is. Again, her book is called Silent Invasion. I guess people are just now reading it. But let me give you some more detail if I could, if you could bear with me here. Uh, they did a great overview there, but let's let's dig into this a little bit. Uh, a, re- a quote by Michael Sanger, who reviewed the book, says, it reads like a how-to guide to subvert a democratic superpower from within, as could only be told through the personal account of someone who was on the front lines doing just that. Uh, she talks about how uh, she saw those Chinese videos, and uh, she was horrified by the images from Wuhan, and so were we all. So were we all, and an article in Revolver, another lengthy piece. Uh, we'll put these on our Getter page. Uh, it is, uh, what's the title of this? Um, How phony coronavirus fear videos were used as a psychological weapon to bring America to her knees. And they go through these videos. Now, this is the first I've heard of this. Maybe you haven't, maybe you've heard more than I have. But it looks as though these videos were made as propaganda by the Chinese uh, to scare Americans. It was a plan. It was laid out. It was just a great plan, wasn't it? It worked really well uh, so that we would comply. We would become compliant out of fear of what we were seeing out of China. Uh, It looks like they were fake. Uh, One of them, I'll just give you one example if I can find it real quick. It was one was taken as this young man passed out in the road. It turns out it was a motorcycle accident. Here it is. The actual video was real, but it had nothing to do with COVID. It was a well-documented motor scooter accident involving two teenagers, one of whom tragically died. But the video was artfully edited to remove the scooter from the frame in order to tell a completely different story with an entirely new narrative and theme. Now, I'm not blaming that on Dr. Deborah Burks. I'm just telling you that's part of the story here of the fraud. It just goes everywhere, doesn't it? It's just everywhere. Okay, so in her book... She talks about how, basically, they wanted to, she's the one who invented that six-foot social distancing. And she said what she was trying to do was uh, they wanted the event, the goal was lockdowns like the Italians were doing. That's what she really wanted to do. Lock everything down, keep people. Remember the video I played of you people sing, of people singing in Italy from their windows in an alley, it echoing, because they couldn't go out and they couldn't have any human contact? That's what Deborah Works wanted to do. So she decided that she would do this thing in increments. It was all just... Um, she was the one who designed all of this. Uh, she says, um, six-foot social distancing is on the way out. Oh, and she says, the 10-person limit was all her idea. She said, I had settled on 10, knowing that even that was too many, but I figured that 10 would at least be palatable for most Americans. If I pushed for zero, which is what I really wanted, this would have been interpreted as a lockdown, and the perception was we were trying to avoid that. So it was little by little so that you wouldn't notice Meanwhile, they're making up these stories in the press, helping Deborah Burks. Um, I'm talking about super spreader events. Remember the Sturgis motorcycle rally? And also the Super Bowl, how you can't go because it's a super spreader event. She had part in all of that, stirring that up. 
Uh, then also the bit about Scott Atlas. This is interesting. She hated Scott Atlas. In fact, uh, as he came in, remember, I remember when he was appointed, I was just thrilled. You know, he's from Chicago. He's, he lives in California, but he was Chicago trained. Uh, no nonsense, just uh, just taking them to task for every single thing. Like, kids don't get ill. Kids don't transmit the virus. That long COVID has been overplayed. That masks are overrated, not needed. That the coronavirus ta- ta- task force has gotten the country into this situation by promoting testing. That testing falsely increased case counts. That targeted testing and isolation constituted a lockdown, plain and simple, and were not needed. And so it turns out Scott Atlas was right, but Deborah Burks was furious with him. In fact, he tells in his book, Deborah Burks threw a fit right there in front of everyone as we stood near the door before leaving the Oval Office. She was furious, screaming at me, never do that again, and in the Oval. I felt pretty bad because she was angry. I had absolutely no desire for conflict. But did she actually expect me to lie to the president just to cover up for her? Sorry, but he asked me a question, and I answered it. And so um, the other thing is um, Burks deliberately deceived and lied to President Trump and his advisors. She told them, told them things that weren't true. She fan- I'm sure she had help. Uh, but she, uh, on, out of her own book and out of her own words, she, she uh, conflated all of this. And then you just heard uh, on the Steve D. show how she edited the documents. She sent the documents off, and the, uh, the people in the White House would edit them heavily she would then not remove anything, just bury it uh, so that they would not see it and send it back again. So they just completely ignored uh, the president, anyone in the White House. Um, She said, this wasn't the only bit of subterfuge I had to engage in. Immediately after the Atlas-influenced revised CDC testing guidance went up, I contacted Bob Bob Redfield, and I had finished our rewrite of the guidance and surreptitiously posted it. We had restored the emphasis on testing. In other words, they did a complete... Uh, she fins her paragraph here say we weren't being transparent with the powers that be in the White House. And she's proud of it. And she wrote a book about it. And that tells you right now the state of things. Uh, there, was, uh, there, was a, there was an insurrection uh, in the Trump presidency. And it took place among members of the staff around him, the closest. You're going to hear some of them testify tomorrow night at the J6 hearing. Uh, traitors on display. And so um, Deborah Burks, the hero, and other times she would be a villain and heading for jail. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.